You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. I'm Ryan. On Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows and then we talk about them. We are currently covering every Ryloth-themed episode of Star Wars TV. But before we get into that, Ryan has a bit for us. I do. Uh, I assume by this point everyone has seen a couple episodes of Andor, maybe more, depending on when this streams. Andor has shown us everything from a Star Wars brothel to a Star Wars mechanic shop to a Star Wars middle management corporate headquarters. What, like, what type of business, what type of establishment do you want to see in a Star Wars setting? I think church. A church. So we've seen the Jedi Temple and... That is, I mean, I guess we've seen a couple Jedi ruins as well. And we've seen like a weird Sith temple cult thing. But those are all very exclusive. Like you can't just like show up on the Sabbath to worship there, yeah. I'm assuming. But like the stuff that Baze and Shurit were in, where like you don't need to be like a fully trained Jedi to gain access. Like we know that there are... Uh, less supernatural worshippers of the Force. So, like, what are their services like? What is their teaching like? Do they have a like coffee that. shop? Is there is there a Joel Olstein of the Force <laughs> that is ripping oh, people off and is a snake oil salesman? Like, what? <laughs> Allegedly, sorry, Mr. Olstein, I don't want to get sued. Like, is there a Hillsong United for... Oh, for the force that like gets celebrities and pumps out shitty worship music. Like what, <laughs> what, love, what is there in religion, you know, for star Wars? I, I like the theory that, uh, Jude law is playing a young Lord Santeca in skeleton crew. I think it makes sense. I think it would be cool. And I imagine we would get that there if anywhere. I don't know if that timeline works out. One skeleton crew. Skeleton crew is twenty five years before uh, the Force Awakens, and Jude Law is roughly that much younger than Max von Sydow was when they shot. I guess the issue is that like Jude Law is always playing people way younger than he actually is. Right. So like, I mean, how old is Jude Law? What like forty five? Something like that. Forty five, fifty. So he could. Yeah. I mean, he, I, he he looks good, you know. He does. He, he, he does not look like a the average 45, yeah. 50 year old. You know, he's got that Hollywood uh, situation where you know money, fountain of youth yeah. thing. Although Lord but, probably had a rough rough couple of years after Ben fell. Yeah, seems like. 
And Obi-Wan's apparently 57 when he dies, so who knows? Yeah. But yeah. Well, right on. We we all know how I feel about Star Wars. <laughs> yes, we do. What what would you want to see, Ryan? I don't know why. I think it's just because I grew up in the middle of nowhere and this was the only place to hang out, but I want to see a bowling alley. I want to see a Star Wars bowling alley. Anti-gravity, maybe some of the pins float. You have to like shot put the ball down the lane. I don't know. Tony Gilroy, if you are a fan of this podcast, and I have to assume you are, uh, Bowling Alley, season two. That's a great call. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I imagine they'd like lean into like a retro 50s vibe with it, too. Yeah, definitely. That would be fun. I'm sure Dex goes bowling all the time. <laughs> he would kill. He's buff. All right. So we watched homecoming this is season two episode right before the honorable ones i don't know the number 14 something like that something like that season two episode homecoming it's a good one uh let's recap it okay uh so Hera's on a mission they are being chased by a star destroyer they got to get away and uh there are a couple of a-wings and uh corvette and one of the A-Wings is damaged, so it needs to dock with the Corvette. And as it's trying to dock before they jump to hyperspace, it gets blown up by a squadron of TIE Fighters, and then they jump. And you can tell that like Hera is very frustrated by the constant running they're having to do and uh, how her fighters' pilots are not protected. So she comes up with this scheme to hijack a carrier. They talk to Commander Sato. Sato's like, hey, there's a rebel cell near Ryloth. There's a carrier there. Hera, you should have an in with this cell. We're like, we're going to send you to like hook up with them and work together to steal this carrier. Uh, sure enough, it's Hera's dad, Cham. Kanan is a fanboy. Cham wants to blow up the carrier instead of steal it. He agrees to play ball with Hera's plan. As soon as they land on the carrier, Cham turns the tables and he fucking stuns everyone. <laughs> and uh, it starts, you know, enacting his plan of sabotaging the carrier and blowing it up because uh, he's hoping that seeing this uh, large capital ship explode above Ryloth will motivate more of his people to join in rebellion. Hera and everyone wakes up. Chopper saves the day. Uh, they confront Cham. Cham, you know, hears Hera give, you know, an inspiring speech or something. Gobi and Numa uh, agree to follow Hera. Cham agrees to play ball again. They then have to all work together to escape because the hyperdrive is damaged. And they escape. And uh, they blow up a smaller ship. Which, you know, is a consolation prize for Cham. They blow up uh, like a cruiser, uh, a little Corvette situation. So, yeah, that's the that's the episode. Yeah. What'd you think? I love this episode. It, Same. It's a banger. Yeah. Uh, there's some really cool, like, character moments for a lot of people in it. Uh, I, I feel like Zeb is really the only one who doesn't get, like, a cool moment. But uh, the Ghost Crew get some great stuff. Cham and Gobi and Numa get some great stuff. And uh, oh, yeah. I love the carrier. It's an awesome ship. 
Yeah, that's a, uh, apparently that is an old school Legends design. Um, goes back to the true set Bakura, and it was designed for a role-playing game of some sort. I was about to say, it has big Star Wars uh, RPG energy to it. Oh yeah, it was designed as a rebel ship, but because it's a triangle, we know the rules. Triangles are bad, except for the Jedi Starfighter, so they made it an Imperial ship that becomes a rebel ship. Yeah, it's I very fitting. It. It, it's definitely, yeah. like, it fills a niche in Imperial fleet design. Yeah. Like, the Gazanti is great, but you're only carrying four ships with it in the best scenario. You know, you might carry two larger ships. Yeah. Whereas then from there, you have these, like, little Corvettes, which we see in the Mandalorian can launch fighters, but not many. And then it seems the next step up would be a Star Destroyer, which is fucking huge. So having this, like, in between the Corvette size and the Star Destroyer size carrier ship for Imperials, which don't have hyperdrives on their fighters, makes a lot of sense. And it also yeah. makes sense why the Rebels would need it as well. Yeah, and it was, I mean, narratively, because they keep it for like a season and a half before it gets blown away by Thrawn. It's it was a good starting point for adventures because any ship they need could theoretically be on that without straining plausibility. Like there's enough space, but it's not so big that there's no stakes anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was devastated when Thrawn same. took it away from us. Oh, same. And Commander Sato with it. I'm not even ready to. Yeah. Yeah, I love Sato. Sato's a great character. Oh, yeah. What else did you like about this episode? What other what other moments stood out to you? Oh man, I mean Hera speaking with the French accent always gets me. I love that. When it when she's in like the heat of the moment and getting emotional and she switches back to her native accent. Yeah, love I agree. Uh, like I know some fans were like mad about it, which is dumb. Really? Yeah, I mean people oh, be God. mad about anything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when I go home like the Philly comes out a bit more mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. and like that's just how it is like even if you have a subtle accent the second you're home and around like your friends or the second you're like really mad like it comes back out <laughs> definitely. Uh, definitely I I love the Kanan Ezra force throwing each other down the hallway I thought that was really fun yeah I had forgotten about that until we rewatched uh, very, very cool use of, uh, like, Master and Apprentice force power stuff. I like the, uh, I like the design of our Free Ryloth characters, how they're wearing bits of old clone armor, because Cham has not let anything go. Um, but also it just looks cool. Yeah, them, it's great. It's great seeing well, Numa again. It's great seeing yes! Gobi again. I noticed, I think it's Numa has Boyle's name written on her armor in Arabesh, and she's got a picture of the little Tuka doll from that adventure. I love that. Ezra trying to get the uh, Jedi mind trick to work is really funny. Yes. That is an excellent moment. You know, he doesn't quite have the technique down yet. But he's getting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I mean, this was sort of the season where he 
developed the most in terms of the force, I think. Because season three, he was he's knocking walkers off the ledge right at the beginning. But I forgot how much I missed Rebels. I love this show. It's definitely Same. like it is my favorite Star War thing, and I don't let myself watch it uh, as much anymore because like I want to watch it for the podcast. So I don't want to like be watching rebels a ton and then have to watch, you know, an episode out of order or whatever, uh, for the podcast. So, uh, whenever I get to come back to rebels because of this podcast, it's always like a big treat and I get to have a yeah. lot of fun with it. Yeah. It, it, I think it is my favorite Star Wars thing too. It's definitely my favorite series. And this, this is one of the top 10 episodes, I would say. Ooh, that's tough. I don't know if it makes it into my top 10, but it is a great episode. Um, it, it it's also in that time period where like we thought Clone Wars was done and you could tell that like the Rebels team really wanted to give certain closure to Clone Wars stuff that didn't get it. And so this episode really felt like closure there uh, for, uh, you know, in some ways, like Mace Windu, in some ways, Cham, in some ways, the whole situation on Ryloth that is so prevalent throughout the Clone Wars series. So uh, yeah. this is a cool episode uh, in that respect. Yeah, very much. I what? watched the Rebels recon. Oh, I meant to do that. Freddie Prince Jr. was talking about how... Uh, Part of the reason that Kanan is fanboying out so much about Sham is because it's a connection to Depa. That's right, because, because she was Mace's Padawan. Yeah, and Mace and Cham work so closely together. And so, like, that was very interesting insight into Kanan, I felt like, this episode, hearing Freddy talk about that. Yeah, I wish that would have been touched. I mean, there really wasn't time to touch on it, but I love that. Yeah, I mean, this is back in the days where pre-Disney Plus, everything had to be 22, 23 minutes. Whereas yeah. you can imagine if this show was made now, this episode probably would have been closer to a full half hour. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I love it. It 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 definitely, this was the episode that kind of made me start connecting Cham and Saw in my mind. Because Cham, he's a little unhinged. Yeah, him stunning everyone yeah. is... Like, they could have died, dude. Like, like, yeah. when they're, when they're stunned, anyone could have found them. Like, that could have really gone bad. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely not, I mean, it's established in the dialogue, but he's not seeing the big picture beyond his own shores. And, like, I, I get it. He's not quite Saw Gerrera. He's definitely this no. kind of middle ground... And I get why he is focused on Ryloth and his people. Like, Champ has been fighting his entire life at this point now. Yeah, it it makes sense. I just can't forgive him for stunning our ghost crew. No, I can't. Mm. He, uh, it comes back. There's another episode. Anything you wish would have been done differently here? Um, I mean, besides what I had just said about, like, contextualizing how Kanan sees this in the context of his own master, 
Not really. Like I said, I mean, this is a top 10. This is a top 10 for me. How about you? Um, it's tough because we're missing a middle chapter still. Between Bad Batch, Lords of the Sith, and then this, there is a yeah. big chunk missing in Champ's story. And, like, as radical as Cham is here, I do feel like he is, uh, like, coming down from his zealot arc, you yeah. know? Like, by the end of this, he's willing to play ball, and it, it feels like he's kind of coming out of his fanaticism a bit, whereas, like, Lords of the Sith he is in his fanaticism and bad batch. He is like not even ready to enter it yet. So like we're missing a huge chunk of chunk of champ's story. And this is kind of like the resolution. Like this is the absolution of champ here is like, this is him like starting to make atonement for what we know has kind of gone down in the interim between chapters but like it's tough seeing him get that atonement when we didn't quite see him do the radical stuff that we know he did yeah it and like there is a case to be made like does cham even need atonement for being a radical against the empire like yeah there are I mean, fans we, who, on different sides of that spectrum of, like, does Cham or Saul need forgiveness? Yes or no? Uh, I mean, with Cham, we don't know. Like, with Saw, we do know that he he there were civilian casualties of some of his attacks, and there's a debate there. With Cham, I don't think we really know. Yeah, Cham does seem like the, if Mon Mothma's too soft for you, and you don't want to shoot up an imperial school like yes. Saul Guerrera, then, like, Cham is your guy. So, like, yeah, it, it's tough because we haven't quite seen it. We've only heard it. He's talked about in a trial, and he is compared to Saul Guerrera uh, in, I think, one of the Aftermath books. So, yeah. We, we know that stuff kind of broke bad, but it does seem like Cham wasn't as extreme as Saul. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he was because, I mean, we talked about it with Lords of the Sith. Like, Saw would have sacrificed those people to get a shot at the Sith Lords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... But yeah, we really are missing a middle chapter, and I don't know... Like, I don't, I don't see Cham coming into Andor, so I don't know where we would get that. I, I, I'm assuming we'll get it someday, whether it so, be yeah. uh, a novel or... Uh, <laughs> You know, depending on how far Bad Batch goes, maybe Bad Batch, but... Oh, maybe. Yeah, it's, uh... So it's tough to say, like, would I do anything differently here? I think that would depend on what we know... Like, what we find out someday about what Cham did in this middle period. Because uh, depending on how hardcore we see Cham get, we know he has to end up here now. Yeah. And can that be satisfying... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, um, it's tough to say. We're missing, we're missing very vital chapters. But as far as this episode, without 
you know, contemplating those those other potential chapters. Uh, no, like, I, I think this is a banger. Like, it's it's a really good one. Kanan and Ezra get some cool stuff and get some great character moments. Sabine gets, a, gets to do, like, some of her Save the Day stuff. Um, we get to see Gobi and Numa again, who, like, I always love seeing my glup shittos. Uh, and then like Hera is like the star of this episode in, in a lot of ways, which is great. Uh, Cham calling her Captain Zendula at the end, like I thought was beautiful. Love that. And I love that final shot of the ghost crew on the deck. Mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for a Star Wars group photo like that. Yeah. And like, this is going to be our second home now, like other than the ghost, this is the home of the crew and it's a great introduction for this, this ship. Yeah. And the setting, the set piece of the show. The Phoenix Nest. I had to look up the name. It's a great name. Great name for a show. Love it. Love it. Uh, And, like, I think another big important part here is that, like, Hera isn't the one who needs to make amends. Cham is. Yes. Like, whenever there is estrangement between parent and child... I mean, nine times out of ten, it's the parent who needs to be the one to, like, make amends and make make restitution with their child. And uh, I like that we see that here. It is not Hera who yeah. needs to go and apologize to Cham. It is Cham who needs to, like, get his shit in line and finally say sorry. So I thought that was handled really, like, delicately and... and really well in a you know children's show so yeah most definitely what do we learn about ryloth and twi'lex here what's the what's the big takeaway um i mean it's our first real primer on what ryloth is like in the imperial era we learn that they have they haven't stopped fighting um, we, we could have concluded that the occupation by the Republic never ended, but we learned that like 15 years after the war, it has never ended. Um, what else? Uh, we, we learned some details about the occupation. Uh, it seems like people have been put into camps. Twilights are being sold mm-hmm. as slaves by the empire. Uh, I'm curious, like who they're being sold to, I guess, like. The Empire is directly selling slaves to uh, either, like, the corporate sector, which would not surprise me, or, like, crime crime syndicates? Yeah, I mean, they're not above dealing with crime syndicates. In the War of the Bounty Hunters, we see an Imperial delegation go to Crimson Dawn for a party and an auction. So, I think they are probably, definitely the corporate sector, like you said, but yeah, they probably are just directly selling to huts. Other crime syndicates. That's really, really fucking dark. Uh, Yeah. That's that's very upsetting. Incredibly. Well, we kind of... I mean, Lords of the Sith kind of touches on that, doesn't it? Uh, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've read it. The Moth has dealings with huts. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that Moth is... Yeah. ...is a mess. But yeah, I think... Having orgies and coked out of her mind on space exactly. heroin, so like, yeah, yeah, I think they're definitely selling to the huts. But yeah, so like, that's some information that is like, 
very dark and it is something that I think is going to inform like when you see a Twi'lek during this time period like you should kind of take that into account of like what the Empire is doing to their home world I think it does give a, a different perspective to the two mercenaries who we see in the Mandalorian who Din deals with uh, the, the brother-sister pair oh definitely uh, I don't know if there are any other big takeaways other than, like you said, that, like, the free Ryloth movement is, like, still at it, and, like, they're still going hard. It's interesting that they are, like, a recognized rebel cell. They're not directly connected to the uh, Alliance proper yet, but the Alliance proper yet hasn't been formed. We'll see that right. in Season 3 of Rebels, but, like, we see that... Phoenix Cell and presumably the Yavin Cell has dealings with them. And like there is communication between these rebel cells and these rebel networks. Anything else? Uh, not really. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of my top 10. I, that's... there we go. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a good episode to come back on. We've been uh, MIA for a little while here, so like it's great to come back with an episode that we both love. Uh, yeah. I think next time will be our final Ryloth episode talking about uh, Harrow's Heroes, right? Harrow's Heroes, yeah. And then who knows what we're going to dive into next. We should uh, probably establish that soon. <laughs> yeah, I have some ideas. I have a couple. Let's Let's talk this week. Yeah, sounds good. All right, well, that's going to do it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. We'd like to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for our, that intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. We are grateful to be part of the Where They May radio network. You can get some great rewards at our Patreon at Patreon slash WTM Radio, as well as bonus content from the... Uh, coming uh, someday, music and lyrics by Ending Pending, Good Neighbors, and Fan Fiction is Good Actually. Actually, keep your eyes on Fan Fiction is Good Actually. I just recorded an episode with them, so that should be coming out soon. Nice. Yeah, it's a fun episode. Uh, I talk about one of my other big fandoms other than Star Wars. Ooh, which one? Uh, the Song of Ice and Fire fandom. Oh, right on. Uh, I'm very, very into those books, and the fan culture around them is bizarre. And <laughs> talking about how like weird it is uh, to be in it is uh, after uh, showing up rather recently was was fun. But yeah, it should be a good episode. So keep your eyes peeled for it. For sure. All right, Ryan. How do we end the podcast? If this is the end. Let it be memorable. Where they may radio.